Hi, this is William Christopher Ford. I played Dennis in Karate Kid 3, and I also was the director of The Last Dojo, and this is Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and today's interview is with Sensei William Christopher Ford, who played Dennis in The Credit Kid Part 3. Uh, for those that don't know, he was actually our very first interview way before Cobra Kai Companion was a thing, uh, before Tom and I even knew that there was going to be a, a Cobra Kai show. Um, so shout out to Sensei Pialani for putting us uh, in, in touch. And so what you are going to hear is is basically catching up with him and talking about some of uh, his current projects, uh, things that he has worked on, and also his film, The Last Dojo, uh, which talks about Sensei Fumio Demura's uh, a dojo that had been uh, take, uh, torn down. And for those that don't know, he was also the, the stunt double for Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. And after that interview, I will also play... The, uh, the very first time we spoke for those that might have missed that episode uh, way back when. So uh, this is our conversation. Hello. Hey, Sensei William. Hey, how are you, Peter? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Are, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Great. I am actually in my dojo right now and the uh, doors are locked and there's nothing going on. So... <laughs> This is actually uh, the perfect time and place to talk to you. Oh, great. Oh, great. Um, well, you know, this episode, we're going to focus kind of catching up on you. Uh, I know we spoke a few months ago when you released your film, The Last Dojo, which unfortunately, I um, technical difficulties, basically. Uh, I don't think the listeners really care uh, what happened on my end, but... Um, yeah, thank you for giving me uh, another opportunity to kind of redo this episode. What's, uh, before we get into some of the other work, what's new with you? You know, we did the, uh, the little short Shoji screens don't hit back. Right. Uh, right. so that kind of would be a little fun thing to talk about. Uh, and, uh, we also are, are working on the Xander series right now, which, um, I can talk a little bit, uh, as well. And, um, Still continuing to teach, and 52 Masters is still going on. We took a little bit of a break, but we're uh, you know we're going back into production right now. So, you know, we did that episode with Robin Ron Thomas. That's right. So we've got you know I think we've got a lot of things to talk about today. <laughs> okay. Well, y- you mentioned show G screens don't hit back. Uh, for those that don't know, that's kind of a look at where the character of Dennis is, uh, which you played in the Credit Kid Part Three. Correct. Right. Um, can you tell us about the, um, you know, how you came up with the idea for this? Okay. Well, um, it was sort of indirectly inspired by the new Cobra Kai series. I thought, well, this is really clever and brilliant how they have basically taken the characters from the films and then updated them and, and did it in a way that was, that made sense, you know, that, um, it wasn't just like, hey, we're going to create a, a sequel to this. 
they actually, I think, gave it a lot of thought. It's like, well, what happened to these characters and what were the motivation and how have they changed, you know? And uh, I thought it would be fun would to be kind of a, do a little short. And, um, you know, the whole idea of when, you know, my character walks into the bonsai shop with Mike Barnes and Snake and uh, they say, Dennis, he doesn't want to sign it. And then they bust the shoji screens up and then immediately uh, get taken out by Daniel. He knees me, punches me, throws me into the, uh, <laughs> into the screens, into the shelving. And I thought, what if, what if he never let that go? And for 30 years, that's been haunting him. You know, he's built up there's this um, fighter, um, you know, Mike Barnes' trainer, and uh, he gets taken out uh, right away. And, you know, what does that do to his street cred? And the only thing that he's been able to defeat is the shoji screens. So um, we thought it was an interesting idea. My, um, my filmmaking partner, Jim Towns, and I, Kind of, uh, you know, I kind of pitched it to him and he got really excited. So, you know, we keep flashing back to the um, the scene and, you know, we come to find out that Dennis is, you know, trying to, uh, you know, run a school, but he drinks and this thing keeps flashing back to him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got this love-hate relationship with now with Shoji Screens. It's like, it, it's almost like a, a codependent relationship you know, an addiction. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be satire. Right. It's supposed to be social, social commentary. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, it's like, we, we, we've never let go of stuff from 30 years ago, you know, and it's like, dude, you really need to move on. And this is not healthy. And if you recall the scene where he's in the park and he's basically trying to leave the shoji screen there and move <laughs> on with his life. And, the next thing <laughs> he runs back and he grabs it without saying a word. And, you know, right. it's, it's like, you know, it's like getting back together with an ex you know, you shouldn't be with, but you're like, okay, I'll give you one, one more chance. And we just thought it would be kind of a fun thing. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a poem, a love letter, if you will, to, you know, the Karate Kids 3 fans, you know, people who, who actually know the character. Uh, so then yeah, we just thought it would be fun. So. Yeah, I I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned it was a satire. I uh, I I guess just thinking about it, it it's kind of a uh, abusive relationship, quite literally. You know, the, the from the first strike in uh, Credit Kid Part Three, and ultimately going back to it uh, in the park. Yes. Well, I tell you, um, you you know, and and one of the things, it, you know, it I my own life parallel parallels it a little bit, right? Because. Well, here, here's the thing, you know, I, I always like to jokingly refer to Dennis as the Boba Fett of the uh, Karate Kid universe. Because okay. I think that's the first time you've mentioned that ever, to me. <laughs> you know, in the Empire Strikes Back, you know, right, Boba right. Fett was built up as this, oh, he's this badass and all this. And then, you know, he gets taken out in the first few minutes of Empire of Return of the Jedi. And, you know, he gets you know, thrown into the Sarlacc pit. And we're just going, that's it? You know, and is he going to crawl out? You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, as an actor... You know, Karate Kid 3 was my big, you know, I got my SAG card from it, you know, and I really thought, wow, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get a lot of work from this. And that wasn't the case. And so, you know, 30 years later, you know, I have 
done other things, you know, but, uh, you know, at the time I was like thinking, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to work a lot and I couldn't get arrested, you know, and it wasn't until recent years where I was able to finally kind of, you know, and, and, and honestly, Peter, it was like, um, you know, for the first few years, people would go, all right, Karate Kid 3, right? And, and I'd be kind of like, uh, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, so what else have you done? And I'd be like, uh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) They might've been really sincere, you know, and and I just kind of felt like, um, please don't bring that up. Um, whereas now, uh, I really enjoy it when people go, Hey, you were in karate, get three, you were a dentist. And I'm like, Oh my God, you, you actually, and I'm actually really tickled that people remember my character and they think enough to, to reach out to me. Um, uh, and, and, and that's one of the great things about Cobra Kai also, you know, and, and I'm being selfish in this is that, you know, it, it, it has brought me back some recognition and people who, um, who remember the films fondly. And I'm always kind of tickled that they remember my character, but they're like, Oh, are you kidding? Yeah. Dennis, man, he was a badass. You know? And so, um, I have come to terms with that, you know, and, uh, and now I embrace it. Hey, it's part of my past and it's something that I'm proud of. And, um, and hopefully my character has moved on also. And it, that's what we kind of wanted to, to show at the end of that is that, yeah, you know what? He's, he's healing and um, he's going to be okay. Uh, I recently just did a, I don't know if I would call it a rewatch, but maybe it was, but my seven-year-old, uh, we just watched the trilogy in the past, um, the first, you know, the, the Daniel LaRusso saga. Um, mm-hmm. we, we haven't seen the, the next credit kid yet, but, uh, he, yeah, he was interested in watching them. Um, we got up to three and, you know, he's seven years old. So I don't, I don't think he knows anything about the, like the dialogue and how, you know, like three is very similar to one or anything like that. But he would rank three third only because of the language. Got it. Yeah, he, he said, uh, Daddy, there's too many bad words, you know, especially <laughs> when uh, Mike Barnes is, uh, you know, during the, the tournament and he's talking about how, you know, your karate is shit, your, you know, your sensei and all this thing. Yeah, yeah. My, my son was just kind of like, Daddy, he's, he, he's saying a lot of bad words. <laughs> so aside from that, I, I think he probably enjoyed it too, um, especially when, you know, Daniel gets to kick some butt. I think he really likes the Mr. Miyagi character because it reminds him of his grandpa. Mm. You know, they kind of look a lot, uh, a lot alike, actually, uh, and and also um, personality-wise. You know, very humble. You know, kind of soft-spoken. Uh, so it, I, I wonder if he connects with Mr. Miyagi's character in that way. That's something I'll definitely talk to him more about as he gets a little bit older. Um, but I did show him the trailer for uh, the next Karate Kid, and he's actually interested because he says it looks funny. Which, you know, if that's why he wants to watch it, sure, why not? You know, still got Mr. Miyagi in it. Well, it is considered canon, correct? It is, yes. Yes, it does. Okay. Well, then, you know, if it's canon, it's canon. And, you know, I, I'm sure that the producers of Cobra Kai, uh, you know, will will deal with it in a brilliant way. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the last dojo, I, I did get a chance to uh, re-watch it again before uh, we spoke. And... Uh, this this is uh, about uh, Fumio Demura's um, uh, dojo that he opened up in the late '60s that that had to close down in Santa Ana, was it? 
Correct. Yeah, and so uh, what gave you the idea to kind of document like the? Um, I, I don't know how long you you filmed there, uh, but to document this before its closure. Okay. Um, you know, my my own karate sensei was uh, a man named Richard Robago, who um, he passed away in uh, 2012. Um, but you know, that's that's how I began my legitimate karate journey. Um, and um, but Sensei Fumio Demura was the first person I had ever seen perform karate live. He was performing it at the uh, Japanese Deer Park, and they did that karate show. And so before I even began my legitimate study of karate, I had seen Sensei Demura and his team perform, and I was just amazed. And that was very, very magical and mystifying to me, and I, <laughs> very exciting. Eventually, I got into my own studies, and um, over the years, I... You know, eventually left and opened up my own school. Uh, during this time, you know, we're talking about many, many years after I had begun my stu- begun my study of karate. Um, my instructor, Senator um, Robago, uh, the landlord had basically told him, "Hey, um, the Carl's Jr. wants to expand the drive-through. They're paying for the expansion. Unfortunately, we have to demolish some of the other units, and one of them is yours." Now. Zerubabu had been there for, you know, over 40 years, um, you know, 30 years, maybe 35 years, something like that. Um, and he was looking for a new place. So I extended the invitation for him to come and train his students at my dojo on the off days or the off hours. And so he did. And his dojo was eventually destroyed. One of the things that I inherited from my old school was a floor panel and this was part of the original floor that we all trained on and this was very important to me because to me it contained all this energy of all the students that had trained there and it contained my sensei's energy and i had this one panel the last existing panel so i put it out on facebook i said i wanted you know everybody who have who had trained there who knew my instructor uh come by and sign the panel, you know, sign it to Sensor Robago and tell him how you feel or tell him how his karate teachings affected your life. One of the people that came by was Sensor Robago's cousin, Kurt Aktuhan, who also happens to be an Emmy Award, award-winning cinematographer. He comes by, he signs it, and he asks me, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And I said, well, this, you know, what, what happened to Sensei Robago's dojo is also happening to Sensei Fumio Demura's dojo in Santa Ana. And I'd like to go and interview him in his dojo before it is, um, it falls victim to eminent domain. So he thought that was a great idea. We went down there and Kurt brought all his really, really nice equipment. And I'm like, wow, this looks like we're, we're going to make a movie. <laughs> you know? But, you know, that's how Kurt works. You know, he's a... Uh, you know, he's the the real deal. You know, he was trained on film and, you know, he made the transition to digital, but he really, really knows his craft. He's a master cinematographer. So, you know, we brought, he brought the beautiful lights and everything like that. And, you know, we um, interviewed Sensei and he gets back to me a few days later and he says, Hey, I think that we have something here that more than just an interview to put on YouTube. There's a story here. So, Kurt comes back, he interviews me in my own dojo. We shot some 
B-roll of the mochi pounding. We shot more footage of some of his students training in the in the very last days. And at the end of the day, we have the last dojo, which is our homage, our love letter, our poem to Sensei Demura, his students, and anybody who's trained in a traditional martial arts, or any martial arts for that matter, who appreciates traditional values. And there we are. And it's a 20-minute film. I am very proud of it. And it's available for people to watch at thelastdojo.com. It's, uh, you can stream it forever for two bucks. And uh, I think it's a heartfelt story. And you get to see Sensei talk about uh, his dojo, his students, what is important to him in life, his philosophy. He even talks about Chuck Norris a little bit. So um, I, I hope people will check it out. Yeah. Uh, now, you participated in the uh, the Moji pounding, and that's a uh, tradition he has at the dojo? Yes, he does it every year. Uh, he has a new dojo. Um, you know, the city, you know, I think uh, cut him a jack, and you know, he was able to open close by, and he still does it every year. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, what is the significance of uh, making it the traditional way? Well, uh, you know, he feels that, you know, nowadays, even in Japan, it's done by machine, and you know, everything is automated, and he wants to keep the tradition of doing it by hand. You know, this is the way that it was done, and so he wants to pass that tradition on to his students so they know how to do it when he's gone, and I, I think that sometimes the old way is better. You know, you could send an email to somebody, but, you know, isn't it nice when you receive a handwritten letter from somebody that, you know, sent by snail mail? It, it's just you know, it takes a little bit more time, but it means more. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I deliver a lot of those during the holidays, as you can imagine. <laughs> isn't it nice, though? It's yeah. Like, you know, hey, it's a, it's a real letter, you know. So I think, um, you know, technology is great, but I, I think we, we still need to you know, honor, honor tradition. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes the, yeah, honor the, the original, uh, the OGs, which, uh, you know, may be a good transition into uh, the, one of the episodes, the 52 Masters, where you got to speak with uh, Sensei Ron Thomas. Right. Well, you know, Ron, he's the real deal. Um, I had been thinking about using him for 52 Masters, and then I met him in person um, at this autograph show that Sean Kinnan invited me to, he was, uh, he invited me to the Hollywood, Hollywood autograph show, which was held at the Westin. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of hesitant to do it because, uh, you know, I still felt like, well, you know, who the heck's going to want my autograph? And he said, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of us karate kid alumni there. And we seem to do really well when we're all together because the collectors come out and they want to get, you know, they would, they want to complete their autographs. And, um, you know, prior to that, I had never done one of them before. So, um, I, I went, Martin Cove was there, Ron was there, Daryl Vidal was there. Um, it was kind of cool. And I, uh, I got a chance to meet some fans. They, you know, I, I signed VHS copies of Karate Kid 3 and, <laughs> um, well, you know, and other things, you know, posters. And, and, and what's interesting is that they came very prepared. You know, they, they had a little post-it note that said, you know, in quotations, you know, Dennis, sign here. And <laughs> it'd be like, okay. And they'd have the pens ready, you know, sign with this color pen, please sign right here. And that was pretty cool. 
And uh, I got a chance to talk with Ron a little bit. And I said, hey, I'm going to be up, you know, where do you live? And he said, oh, San Marcos, California. I said, I'm going to be up there interviewing a sensei named Marcus McCammon anyway. Do you want to come to his dojo? And right after I film his episode, can we film an episode with you? And he agreed. And he did it. And I really enjoyed meeting with him. He was great. Um, you know, you watch the episode and it's like, yeah, it's the real deal. He was putting some stuff on me that that hurt. You know, I mean, he didn't injure me, <laughs> but it's like, you know, you, you know, I'm not faking it when he's putting this stuff on me, man, you know? And, um, you know, he's just a very, very positive person. Um, you know, he, he does public speaking, he does coaching. Um, but he, he, I think he's, uh, he's amazing. And, uh, I was so, so happy that he was willing to do an episode. I was really happy, uh, how that episode came out. I'm really proud of that episode. And, uh, I really like him. I consider him a good friend. Yeah, he's a really nice guy, um, you know, very friendly, uh, has a great energy about him, obviously, you know, because he is a, a motivational speaker. Uh, yes. I watched that episode on my TV because, you know, with the smart TVs, you have the YouTube app. And my, my seven-year-old was watching it with me. And uh, he's never seen anything like this before, but he was actually interested. You know, he was watching the moves being done and he was asking why you kept kept on tapping Ron's hand or whatever it was. I go, oh, that's because, you know, maybe uh, some pain, you know, that that's too much right there. And it's just a signal to kind of stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my neck. <laughs> <laughs> so um I have to tell you also um I I got a chance to meet Rob Garrison at the Hollywood show. Mm. Um this was uh just a little bit of time before he passed. And uh so I did get a chance to shake his hand and uh this is the first time I actually met him. So um I felt very very fortunate that I was able to meet him. I I did not know that he was actually ill. Mhm. You know, it was, it was, you know, we got a chance to take that group picture together, um, you know, with everybody who was there. So, uh, I, I was very fortunate. And, you know, it was very poignant, you know, in that episode that he appears of, uh, of Cobra Kai, um, you know, even more poignant now that, you know, he's actually gone. Right. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, Rob Garrison, recently the, Seasons one and two of Cobra Kai was released on DVD, and there's a deleted scene with the original Cobras, you know, and it was actually kind of nice to see them all together. And then, you know, uh, Brianna and I, we did a uh, a taping of, you know, our reactions, you know, on audio. And, well, first, you know, we smiled because we got to see the, the original Cobras again. And then, you know, Rob Garrison's right there, and we're just kind of like, oh, you know, just uh, kind of remembered that, yeah. yeah, just recently he passed. Well, you know, speaking of Brianna, I've never met her, but she's been great. Just uh, a super nice and talented person. You know, some of her posters that she creates are just really amazing. And um, I, uh, I I have not yet had a chance to meet her in person, but uh, she seems like she's uh, really super cool. She really is. She really is. I, I'm really uh, grateful for uh, her contributions to the pod and everything that uh, everything else that she does, obviously. How did you guys get the uh i know that you visited the set and all that how did that happen because that is like oh man <laughs> that's that score guys yeah well um let's see 
Well, it certainly was a treat for all the fans to see all those pictures you posted. So, uh, you know, really great job on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely something uh, I'll cherish. It's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. For sure. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to... Uh, uh, find out a little bit more about you know how, how you made that happen, and that was pretty. That was very very cool. Yeah, thanks. Now, the last time we spoke, you uh, had some uh, s- some copies of your book, uh, The Beginner's Mind, that you had a bunch of uh, autographs in it as well. Is that still? Is there still some copies floating around uh, that's available? I've got about ten copies left. You know, uh, they're signed by Daryl Vidal. Leoto Machida, Sensei Demura, Gerald Okamura, myself, and Sean Kanan, among other um, martial artists. I, I still have about 10 of them. That was my project that we did to, to raise money for St. Jude Children's Hospital uh, back in 2016. So, um, yeah, I have a few available. Uh, they go for 35 now, and it's a little bit more if I have to ship it, like, out of country, you know, but locally here in the U.S., uh, it's $35. And I think 45, if somebody wants me, you know, I've had a couple people from England, Kaz, you know, one of them, he was one of the people who first purchased the copy, appreciated that support. Um, Tim Carr over on the East Coast, he's been really, really supportive. Um, I haven't met him yet, but I've spoken to him on the fo- on the phone. And Karate Kid Collector is, is uh, his... Uh, ID on Instagram, and um, he's been in the super, super supportive as well. So, uh, yeah, I do have a few more copies if anybody's interested in uh, in purchasing them. Um, when they're gone, they're gone, as they say. <laughs> uh, as we get ready to wrap up, you, you teased a uh, project that you're currently working on, uh, including uh, Xander. Oh, what, what else can uh, listeners kind of keep an eye out for in terms of projects? Uh, well, Xander is, you know, something that, um, you know, I was talking to Kurt Abduhan, who, you know, was the cinematographer for um, Last Dojo. And we just wanted to kind of create something cool that was more uh, action-based, that was uh, more of a, a dramatic narrative rather than documentary. And the inspiration for that was, you know, we just started talking about, you know how you watch the, the closed circuit footage sometimes where you see some scumbag walk into like a liquor store and just like, you know, they have no remorse. They, they hit, you know, whoever the clerk is, you know, and sometimes it's an elderly person, you know, they beat up a person and, you know, it just makes your blood boil, you know, and it's like, well, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to see you know, something that was created where, you know, there was a hero who kind of righted, you know, who writes wrongs of that nature. And that's what kind of got it started to roll, you know, rolling. But we also thought it would be interesting as a character study, you know, one, if the hero, so to speak, you know, somebody who maybe, you know, karate was his base and maybe he, you know, was ex-military, but he kind of started believing his own hype and he's out with his wife one day and they get jumped and he gets beat up his wife gets killed and all this training has been, you know, for nothing because he couldn't protect the one person whom you shouldn't be able to protect. So, you know, this becomes about, initially it becomes about revenge, but over the course of time, he starts to realize that he's becoming like the people that, you know, he's trying to stop. So, 
there has to be some sort of redemption along the way. And, and that's kind of the story arc. You know, it's revenge, righting wrongs, and ultimately re- redemption. Um, so we kind of reverse engineered it. Rever- reverse engineered it, rather. We uh, shot a trailer, which we thought was really cool. And these are elements that are going to be in this web series, which is going to be free on YouTube. But we are in production and hopefully the first episode will be able to drop sometime in January. And if people want to find out more about it, we have some behind the scenes stuff that we have on our Patreon page, which is Xander the web series and Xander with an X and any support is greatly, greatly appreciated, but we think that uh, people will really dig it. And, you know, again, I play Xander. This character is, you know, uses karate as his um, base style. But he also goes into Filipino martial arts, Muay Thai, you know, combative, things like that, Filipino knife fighting. There's some other things that are shown in the series. But, uh, you know, at its core, it's a you know, desire for this man to ultimately forgive himself and redeem himself for letting his wife die. And that's it in a nutshell. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, well, thank you for speaking with me. Um, did I catch you at a good time? Yeah, actually, uh, it's, it's a very good time, so no worries. <laughs> okay, uh, let's start with, um, with the auditioning process. Uh, from what I read, you actually went into audition for the Mike Barnes character? Well, um, I was sleeping in uh, one Saturday morning. Uh, at that time, I was pursuing acting. I was just really starting out, not even ha- not even having my SAG card yet. And um, <laughs> my buddy, Rich Cancino, he was, he's been my buddy since the late 80s. Um, he's now my teaching assistant. But he calls me up and goes, hey, man, what are you doing? We, we got to go to this audition. And I'm, what are you talking about? And he says, oh, they're, they're looking for uh, the new villain for the new Karate Kid movie. And so he got me out of bed, drove me down to Burbank, and uh, lo and behold, or I don't know, I, I like to say somewhere between 1,500 and 1,500 um, uh, hopefuls in line. And it was like, oh, man. So <laughs> We got in this line and it was very ethnically diverse and it was, you know, people of all uh, shapes and sizes and ethnicities. And we get in this line and we just go, okay, well, here we are and let's, let's see what happens. So, um, interestingly enough, uh, Sensei Butch Togisala was in the line too. Um, and our sensei, Richard Robago, who actually, um, this is the fourth anniversary of his passing today. Mm. Uh, he, he was uh, across the street uh, with, uh, with Butch's dad and some of the other parents who brought their boys to come audition. And uh, so we're waiting. Uh, pretty soon, John Alvelson, the director, John G. Alvelson, who also directed Rocky and the Karate Kid, you know, the first Karate Kid, of course. And, right. you know, he's he's quite a filmmaker. He comes out with his cameraman and they start going down the line and it's a pretty quick process. They're like, okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we're not, so we're going, Oh man, you know, there's no chance. And, um, he, uh, he kind of stops in front of me They're They're still, you know, quite a few feet away. And I don't even want to make eye contact with Mr. Avelson. And my buddy, Rich is like elbowing me going, dude, 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 they're coming over here. Dude, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, finally, John comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, what's your name? And uh, at that point in time, I was still Christopher Paul Ford. Um, I, I changed my name to William Christopher Ford um, after my father passed because his name was William. So it was kind of, um, you know, um, an homage to him. But mm-hmm. also, I, I never liked the name Paul. And I've always wanted to be a William. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the story behind that. So um, I give him a picture and resume. We talk a little bit. And he says, how old are you? And at the time, I was 22, I believe. And he says, well, you look a little old to be 18 or 17. And we kind of need you to look like you, you know, you haven't, uh, you know, you still might be in high school. And I said, oh, really? Okay, no problem. But I was just happy that he stopped and talked to me. So we went home and that was that. And... About a week later, I got a phone call from Carol Jones, the late Carol Jones, who who used to cast all of his projects. And uh, she said, oh, we want you to read for the part of Mike Barnes because we haven't really found that, that actor yet. So I got a chance to read for Carol. I went down there. I gave, probably gave one of the worst readings ever because at that point in time, I hadn't studied acting. I was just, you know, going off of what I saw in movies and I thought I could wing it. Right. <laughs> It was just awful, and but she was very nice, and that was that. And that's when I was like, well, I think we're done. I don't think that I'm going to get called back. So um, like a day before it's actually supposed to start production, and I, I don't know how I remember all this. It was something like December 4th, and I knew that they were <laughs> going to start production on December 5th. So I just got moping around, and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go out for a run, and when I get back, and this is before cell phones, they, they, I get this message on my answering machine, and it's like, oh, we'd like you to come down and we cast the part of Mike Barnes, but we want you to come down and read for, um, well, we just want you to meet John and um, his stunt coordinator, Pat Johnson. They're looking for somebody to play one of the Cobra Kai bad boys, you know, somebody who can do martial arts. And I go down there, I meet with Pat Johnson. Um, Pat Johnson was also, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but in Enter mm-hmm. the Dragon, he's the guy that says, it's the dough, Roper, we got to break something. So, mm-hmm. And uh, Pat was there, um, very nice to me. And he says, yeah, you look fine. We just got to get John's approval. Um, Fumio Demura was there, who was the stuntable for Mr. Miyagi. And I had had um, um, a friendship with him. And he was like, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, <laughs> oh, you know, uh, I got called in. And, you know, and he goes, oh, okay. And um, finally, John Appleton comes out. And he looks at me and he says, well, you look young enough. And I'm thinking, phew. You didn't think you didn't think right, that, right. <laughs> but they were in a pinch, and I think they really needed somebody to, to you know to work the show. And uh, Fumio says to John, he says, "Eh, John, this kid okay." <laughs> so they kind of look at each other, and it's like, "Well, if it's good enough for the Demora, it's good enough for me." And that's when they said, "Okay, let's get him a side card and let's bring him on." And uh, that's that's kind of how I. Uh, Oh, I, I got got into that movie, and I was really calm on the outside, but I was doing backflips and, you know, doing the happy dance on the inside because it was it was you know for me it was it was huge. It was the biggest thing I'd ever done, and um, I got my my union card out of it, so that was pretty cool. 
That that is pretty cool because I mean this is the third movie. the The second one was a huge hit in the box office, um, so yeah. it must have been a lot of pressure. But um, I thought it was interesting. You you mentioned that uh, your friend said, "Hey, let's let's go try out for this uh, Karate Kid audition." Nowadays, they don't even announce things like that. They actually try to uh, you know give like a fake name of the of the movie because they don't want it being leaked <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, so kind of the signs of the times. Very interesting. Well, this this was pre-internet. This was pre, um, you know, pre-leaking and hacking. TMZ <laughs> and all that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So uh, it was it was a different era. And back then, everything you know, headshots were black and white, and they were film. And you know, there was no digital technology. So things changed. Have changed quite a bit, quite a bit. And uh, and, and I think it's for the better, for the most part. You know, but. Um, yeah, that was that was how it was back in the day, you know, and sometimes you get lucky. So after you were casted as the um the character Dennis um as one of the um the Cobra Kai bad boys as you call it, was there any like uh pressure or were you nervous? What what was that like being casted in this uh, really big franchise? It was kind of surreal. You know, you're looking around and you're going, "Oh my god, that's Ralph Macchio. Oh my god, it's Pat Maria." You know, and I'm just a guy who just kind of grew up, you know, being on the sidelines going, wow, golly, you know, and now I get to be a part of this team. That was really a surreal experience. Um, everybody was really nice to me. Um, you know, it, you know, interestingly enough, um, here's how I got the name Dennis as a character. Um, John Avelson, his son played um Snake. character named Snake. Mm-hmm. And I played Dennis. And basically he said, okay, guys, you guys are the thugs. Come up with your names. And I was <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I was just, I just, what popped into my head was Dennis the Menace. So I said, okay, I guess my name is Dennis. And um, John Avelson Jr. said, I'll be Snake. <laughs> oh, well, so he chose his own name. Okay. Yeah, so it was Snake and Dennis. And I'm like going, you know, uh, thinking back at it now, I'm like, why did I pick Dennis? I gotta pick something cool, you know? And I, and, but that's what I came up with, you know? I couldn't think of anything else. So, uh, that, that's how that character came about. I think Dennis is and, a good name. Uh, I mean, if you well, think back to the first movie, you had like Tommy and, you know, you had some, some regular, regular names. Snake was a little weird. Know? Like watching the movie, I was like, why is this kid named Snake? <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because um Sean Kanan, who I still keep in touch with, he um he's actually been the coolest guy of all, you know. Uh, okay. when I first met him, he he was nice to me. And you know, when he when he was first starting out, you know, I think that he kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. He was arrogant, you know, he was cocky, you know. He um he he was a nice enough guy, but you know, I think some people thought this guy is just, you know, he thinks he's all that. But he was always nice to me. He was always really cool to me. And years later, I was still able to uh, keep in touch with him and run into him. And he's always been there for me. Um, he he wrote the forward to a book called The Beginner's Mind Project, which I'll talk about later on, which is our fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Hospital. And I asked him to do it, and he was like, I'd be happy to do it. And he did it. And um, so the bad boy of karate is really one of the nicest guys ever. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, uh, I I think I read that um, when he was auditioning, 
just to make an impression on the director, he like uh, kind of cornered Ralph Macchio or something, or I, I don't know how true that is. It's just one of those things you read online. You don't know if it's actually true. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure about that, to be honest with you, Peter, but I do know that they were considering John Avelson Jr., Jonathan Avelson for the role of Mike Barnes. And I have seen the audition tape for that. And he really kind of gets into Ralph Macchio's face and Ralph looks like he's kind of intimidated. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that was the same with, um, with Sean Kanan, but, um, you know, ultimately it, uh, you know, ultimately Sean got the role and, and Jonathan played snake. Uh, interestingly enough, um, Sean wasn't the first pick. It was some kid named Daryl. And he was this really, really good-looking blonde kid. He looked like a surfer kid. Mm-hmm. And he had no experience whatsoever. And I think they tried working with him with an acting coach, and it just wasn't working. So they actually ended up pulling in Sean, who had more training. you know. And Sean was um, a student of Shitoryu Karate under one of Sensei Demarest's students. So he had some, some ins as well. But you know, he, he, he had the acting, the acting chops and he was athletic enough. Uh, I think at that time he was a green belt, uh, to pull off the moves. So, um, that's a little insight, uh, behind, behind the, the, uh, the initial casting. Oh, awesome. Um, so what was it like, uh, meeting Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita? Uh, like, um, how long into production did you meet them or what was that like? I met Ralph Macho the first day. He was there, and uh, he was like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Ralph." And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> and he was really, really cool. Um, you know, he's a little bit on the shy side. Um, he's kind of more of a quiet guy. But you know, if you want to talk to him about acting or, or you know, things like that, actors he likes, he was really open about that. Um, cool guy, but kind of private, you know. But but nice guy, you know. I always thought he was down to earth. In fact, um, he was the guy responsible for me getting my 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 one line in the movie where I say, "You take off." And um, the reason for that was, you know, we're rehearsing this scene, and um, you know, it's in the bonfire shop, and I'm supposed to push him, and he pushes me back, and he throws me into the um, the, um, the the doors. The, 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 the I think it was the the I can't even Table think of them, or the, the cubby. Yeah, it was like these cubbies that shelving, right? And he says to John Alvison, he goes, hey, can you give him a line or something? Because I, I don't feel threatened enough. I need, to, I need to have a little bit of motivation. And John goes, okay, um, then you say, how about you take off? And I went, <laughs> okay. And it was kind of cool. I mean, you know, I, I would have gotten, I was already in, you know, I got my union card regardless. I didn't need the line to, to get into SAG. But it was just kind of cool that not only did my character get a name, but he had a line. And that made me really, really happy. So I'm always thankful to Ralph for doing that for me. So the scene that you're speaking of, it, um, there, there's definitely a fight between you and Ralph. Uh, are you guys <laughs> both kind of doing your own stunts? Um, what was the, um, you know, the choreography like in, in filming that scene? Okay, well... Um, Ralph actually did the move. He actually did the move where he knees me and he throws me into the shelving. And we we choreographed it a little bit. And when he did it, the first time, and we filmed it, I actually hit my forehead on the edge of the shelving. Mm. <laughs> I was supposed to hit the top of it and it was supposed to collapse down. 
So they um, they took a look at me, and I was like, oh, that was that kind of hurt. So they 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 put makeup over my uh, my scrape, and then when we did it again, we got it. But uh, he definitely did his own stunt on that one, and and you know I was the guy that you know gets thrown into the shelving. And interestingly enough, you know, it, it has been said uh, that, you know, Ralph is not a trained martial artist and his character of Daniel-san is a very peaceful guy. Um, he, he's not necessarily this badass fighter. You know, he wins in the tournaments and, you know, he was able to be chosen in Karate uh, Kid 2, uh, Yuji Okamoto's character. But usually he takes a beating in the street. So what does that say about my character's ability if I'm one of the few characters that actually gets beat up by Ralph in the street? In the street, right. My my level of martial arts in that world must be really bad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. <laughs> so that's the running joke. It's like, yeah, my you know, I'm you know, I I'm one of the people that actually got beaten up by Daniel San, you know, and not in a tournament. That's kind of my claim to fame. Well, to be fair, you were def- uh, you were a new recruit to the Cobra Kai too, though. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think um, you know my my thing was I was a trainer and all this stuff. You know, and, and you know you can make up whatever you know mythology or history you want <laughs> behind it. You know, it, it, it was uh, you know it, it, it's it's interesting, but uh, yeah, he he got me good that day, and uh, and I was I was happy to take the fall for him. Now uh, you you mentioned uh, Ralph not being a, a trained martial artist uh, in the movie, no. uh, Mr. Miyagi. He is uh, Okinawan, and uh, you yourself mm-hmm. you um, dabble in some type of uh, Okinawan martial arts. Well, uh, I've been practicing Okinawan karate for forty three years. Mm-hmm. Um, still consider myself a student, of course. My instructor was Sensei Richard Robago, who was. Pialani's first instructor, who was Sensei Butch Togisawa's first instructor. We're all classmates. We came from the same sensei. I, um, um, Mr. Miyagi in the movie was based on a real-life Miyagi named Chojun Miyagi, who founded the style of Goju-ryu, which is another very famous Okinawan karate style. The writer of the movies was uh, Robert Mark Kamen, who was a Goju-ryu stylist. So that's how that came about. Oh, okay. Mr. Miyagi was stunt doubled by Sensei Fumio Demura, and um, all the fighting you see in the movies is Demura Sensei. Um, there's a movie out, a documentary called The Real Miyagi, which is about Sensei Demura's life, and it's it's worth checking out because there's interviews. Uh, you know, I'm in it, and Sean Kanan is in it, and um, other people, uh, Sensei Robago, other people like that. Uh, you know, we talk about you know, Sensei and his influence, you know, on us and uh, how he really helped bring the Miyagi character to life. And Pat Morita himself uh, gives much respect to Sensei Demura in this documentary. Oh, that's awesome. I, I definitely, yeah, I, I've seen the, the, the poster in the cover box. Um, so, so the, the, the karate in Karate Kid, you, you would actually say it's actually pretty, pretty accurate. I think uh, they really try it. They really try it to be accurate. Um, you know, karate, as it has come to be called, originated from Okinawa. And, you know, of course, there were other indigenous martial arts that karate came from, you know, China and India and Southeast Asia. But karate or karate-do 
is a, a product of Okinawa, and eventually it went to Japan and to the States and to Europe and everywhere else in the world. So I think they're, they're trying to be true to the roots. Uh, now, you know, everything is, you know, you, you got to make it a little bit more dramatic. You got to take some artistic license to make it more exciting, of course. But there is a lot of, um, there, there is a lot of genuine um, karate, I think, in these movies. What about the, the crane kick? Um, is that a real technique? Called a, well, there is, but, the, you know, we call it a tobigiri. You know, sometimes it's called a jumping kick or, a, you know, I've, I've heard it called a chicken kick. That's, that's a real technique. Um, although I would never put my arms out like that, you know, <laughs> the way it's done. It's very dramatic. But um, interesting story behind that. Um, if you go back to the first movie, there is the tournament and one of the fighters is the Filipino guy named in his character's name is Vidal and he's played by my good friend Daryl Vidal. Okay. And I don't you remember him, right? He's he's the Filipino fighter who's like really, really good and he's doing these wheel kicks and Is he wearing like a white like tee? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Curly hair, maybe? Yep. Okay. Yep. I can't know who you're talking he's about. He's a friend of mine. Okay. He lives in Marietta, California. Um, really great, good guy. Still a great martial artist. And um, he was cast in that movie as one of the fighters, right? And uh, they needed to do this uh, this crane kick, and he could do it. So what they did is they put Daryl in this rubber Miyagi suit, so to so to speak. <laughs> and he's you know when he's on the beach doing the kick on the stumps, you know, on the wooden stumps, that's Daryl. Okay. So he kind of helped you know, create this whole mythos behind this crane kick. Now, you know, everybody thinks of the karate kid when you see this kick, right? Right. But if you go flash forward to the UFC, fighter named Leota Machida, who is also a friend of mine, I trained under him, his brother now, and uh, Leota Machida and Shinzo Machida, they're, um, they're my current senseis and they're friends of mine. Leota Machida was able to effectively do that against a, a, a great fighter named Randy Couture a few years back. And he, oh, okay. he did it and nailed him right on the button and knocked him out. And everybody was like, oh, my God, Leota Machida is the real karate kid. <laughs> so, you know, it, it can work if used effectively. Now, of course, Leota didn't put his hands out like Danielson did. But uh, it's cool that, that that reference is still made. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, it's it's really big in pop culture. Um, I mean, yeah. at, at least uh, you know, one of the big things that people do remember about the franchise is the crane kick and wax on, wax off. Correct, correct. You know, and you know, I I, I think that you know you certainly can. You know, I, I like to joke that I like to practice my sweeping kata is when I get my my mop <laughs> out, and you know, I you know, I pra- you know, I'll tell the kids, oh, we're gonna learn how to sweep today. Oh, really cool, and. You know, you handle the mop. That's that's the joke, right? Uh, so my cleaning kata. But, you know, you can take any kind of motion that you do in regular life and, you know, somehow fit, make it adapt to, I think, martial arts, you know, and, and vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, mo- movement is movement. And, you know, a lot of it just depends on our not only our necessity, but our imagination. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. Um, one of the pivotal scenes in the movie is the the cliff scene where um, Jessica and Daniel uh, kind of go down this cliff to kind of, I, I guess, dig out a bonsai tree. Uh, right. Your character, Dennis, and Mike and Snake, they um, kind of pull, you know, Daniel and Jessica up 
And then there's this big confrontation here about Daniel signing uh, the application to defend his title. Right. Uh, what was sure. what was filming that scene like? Um, and also working with uh, Robin uh, Lively. You know, she had just came out with like Teen uh, Witch earlier that year too. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We went up to Mendocino, California, wine country, to shoot a lot of that, and that's where I, that's where where I was shot. Um, you know, up at the top of the cliff. The actual stuff that they um, they shot, you know, where they actually go down, they shot it on a, I think they shot it on a green screen um, of some sort, you okay. know, and, the, you know, the digital technology wasn't there yet, so it looked a little, you know, 1966 Batman-esque, you know. You, that is so uh, funny. <laughs> my, my guest for the review, he said that exact same thing, and um, I watched it on DVD, and I was convinced that it was, you know, just kind of something that's superimposed in the back. That was shot on a studio. Okay. But everything at the top of the of the cliff was actually on location in Mendocino. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they just kind of put that together through the magic of cinema. But you can kind of tell because, you know, when they're, when they're off the cliff, it, it, it definitely doesn't look. It, it, it has a, it, it looks fake, you know. <laughs> Was was it pretty dangerous to film? You know, were they, um, you know, because it, it is on the cliff. Was there uh, some type of harness rigging and, um, you know, to prevent them from falling? Well, they definitely, um, you know, you know, Ralph was the one who was in the most danger, you know. So, you know, they definitely rigged him up so that, you know, he he wouldn't fall. And, you know, he was, he was I think he was just barely hanging, you know, barely hanging up. And, you know, they made sure he was safe. We were far back enough to where you know we were safe and i honestly don't remember if they if they rigged this or not my, my guess is they probably had some sort of safety harness on us mm-hmm. uh, but I, I i i don't remember um interestingly enough while we were in mendocino um ralph was um he came into contact with poison oak oh, and no. uh yeah that 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 so he had you know red welts on his face and had some swelling so he had to take a couple of days off if I'm not mistaken. So that was more of a problem more than uh, the actual hanging off the cliff. That's funny because I, I think there's a, a line somewhere in the movie too, that talks about poison Oak. Oh, I wonder if that was, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe filmed out of sequence and they kind of threw that in as a joke, perhaps. I'm, I'm not sure. That's, that's interesting. I'm not actually. sure. I have to go back. I haven't seen the movie. In a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can understand why. <laughs> it's um, not. It's not one of those ones I revisit every year. You know. It's sure. Just, uh, you know, I appreciate the work, but you know, you, you look back on it and you go, "Ooh, that yeah, was uh, that, ooh, that was a thing." You know, <laughs> you know it was. Uh, you know, the first is a classic. The second's pretty good. Yeah, there's 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 such a thing as going to the well one too many times. You know, and it's like, yeah, and I get it. You know, the studio is like, hey, we gotta we gotta we got to get one of our franchises out, you know, and I think that was the same year that the first Tim Burton Batman came out. So, you know, it it was, you know, that was, that was, uh, I I, kind of question the wisdom of that. At the same time, I still get a residual check from that movie. You know, I still make about a thousand dollars a year on that film. Something I did back in, in, in 89, you know, so uh, it pays the bill here and there and I'm not complaining. No, yeah, I can understand that. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell. You, let me let me tell you something real quickly. Um, okay. Sean Kanan, um, and and I'm not sure how this happened, but somehow he got injured, and um, he there there was almost like okay, well, we're gonna have to recast Mike Barnes, and it had something to do with his stomach, and I think like he had to go to the hospital, 
Oh, internal bleeding, I think I read. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I think, according to Sean, it had something to do with maybe slamming into one of the walls or something on accident. I don't know how it happened. But um, so they were looking at other people. And one of the people that they brought in on set to read was Brandon Lee. Oh, wow. And I actually met Brandon. And um, so we were talking and he's like, yeah, you know, he, at that time he hadn't been keeping up his martial arts. And this was before he did. Um, he started doing his own films, um, Rapid Fire. And, mm. you know, he did um, Showdown in Little Tokyo. And, you know, obviously before The Crow. And, you know, he was still trying to, to make it as an actor. And he, was, he really, really wanted the part. He was going, yeah, you know, I, I'd really like to get this role. But he's like, I, I don't know. I, you know, I've, I had, I've been, you know, I got to quit smoking too. Cause you know, I think he would, he did a little bit of martial arts and, you know, I think they were kind of like, well, you know, it was okay. And, you know, he, he kind of tells me afterwards, he's like, yeah, dude, I got to quit smoking, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> he was, um, it was really kind of cool meeting him. I was like, oh man, you know, very nice to meet you. And this was before, you know, he, he really became big and broke out of his father's shadow. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, it's like your dad is. Bruce Lee, did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even want to go there, you know, just because right. I know that, you know, he's gotten that his whole life, but I right. was just like, oh, just, you know, very, not so much, well, I'm a big fan of your dad's, but it was like, wow, very nice to meet you. And I think he appreciated that. And he, and he was cool. Um, and ultimately, Sean got better and he was able to finish the role. And, um, you know, everything went on as, as it was supposed to go on. But um, I just, that's an interesting anecdote I like to share with people. I did not get a picture with him. I wish I did, but uh, I did get a chance to meet him. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I wonder how different it could have been uh, with, with him, um, you know, playing Mike Barnes. I'm sure he would have played it completely different as well. Um, yeah, that definitely would have been interesting to see. I, I wish there was like maybe like some footage that they would have eventually released, you know, in like some kind of supplemental material. Yeah. That would have been really cool. But I yeah. do remember I watched the, you know, he basically auditioned in front of us and I watched him audition for the director with Jonathan, Jonathan Adelson. And, um, I don't know if he was reading off of Ralph or not, but I remember him doing the reading and he was pretty convincing. He did a, he did a good job. So, uh, that I do remember. And I don't know if they, um, they recorded his audition or not, but if they did and it's lying around somewhere, I think that would be, Really, really cool to see. Yeah, it really would. Um, let's talk about the the end scene at the tournament. Uh, it's very brief, but what was it like revisiting or actually, you know, being in that set? You know, that's very uh, famous from the first movie. Yeah, again, that was that was uh, surreal. They they reconstructed it on the studio. You know, it's amazing the attention to detail. It's like wow, this you know it looks like it did in the movie. You know, but it was it was done completely on the studio. They they did. You know, the whole tournament thing and the stands and and everything else. You know, you feel like you're you're part of history, you know, because I, I you know, I remember, you know, seeing the original karate kid in the movie and you, you know, you're so familiar with the set and then it's like, Wow, I'm kinda here. That's pretty neat. With um the the, the fight scene that took place there, what was really brief, what, what was the shooting like? Well, they choreographed that. It was uh the um the writer, Robert Mark Kamen, again, as I said, he's a Goju Roo black belt. He and Pat Johnson kind of worked out the details uh, as far as the choreography. And 
I got a chance to kind of play the parts while they were choreographing stuff. Like, okay, now you, you be Daniel and you do his part. Okay. Now you be Mike and you do his moves. So I got a chance to kind of learn the moves, both parts so that they could help, um, so that they could put together this fight. How long, how long do you think it took uh, Ralph to learn the, the kata that he performs at the end? Uh, I remember Fumio Demaro working with him on that, and he seemed to catch on pretty quick. You know, Ralph used to be a tap dancer, and he's a pretty quick learn from what I recall. So he, was, he, he picks things up pretty well. Yeah, it looked natural uh, just watching it recently. Um, I, I enjoyed watching him do that, actually. Um, yeah, it was just uh, really interesting to watch. Yeah, he's... He, he, you know, I, I think it came from his dance background. And also, uh, you know, when you're an actor, you learn to, you know, you learn your lines quickly. And I, and I think you just, you learn to, you learn to figure it out quickly. Yeah, you have to, right? Right. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I have to tell you also, I, I just produced a, a short film called Christmas Night. And um, it's got some martial arts in it, but it's about Santa Claus. Who, who It's a kick-ass Santa Claus. Um, okay. That's gonna. Uh, that's gonna be. We're gonna release it around Christmas time. But if there's a sneak preview, I'll let you know. Oh, but great. I cast my female lead. My female lead is a Filipina girl, uh, and um, I um, I have as one of the um, as as one of the guys at the end who shows up is um, another Filipino friend of mine named Alvin Katakutan. And the interesting thing is, is that these roles like they don't speak with accents, and they're not they're not typical. You know. So we have like four Asian people or at least part Asian people who are in this film in non-typical roles, you know, and, and part of my, my, my goal and my mission also, what I want to do is to, uh, you know, start creating more realistic and diverse roles, uh, for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community as well. You know, it's still, I think we're still behind. I say, I think it's getting a little bit better, but there's still, whitewashing going on absolutely and you know i i, I want to contribute in, in in a positive way that reflects our cultures in a positive light and i'm not saying that you know there's never going to be any asian villains or whatever but at the same time there's, there's got to be balance you know and um it irks me when i see characters that were originally written as asian and who should be played by an asian and all of a sudden it's like oh you know they just they went caucasian right right you know? yeah representation so. matters <laughs> For sure. Um, so as we're getting ready to to uh, finish up here, you um, released a book not too long ago, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to give a little shout out to uh, our mutual friend uh, Sensei Pialani, who she told me that she has a a photograph in this book of yours. Well, um, here here's the thing. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been running my dojo, the Kaizen Dojo in Torrance, and you know, Kaizen is a Japanese word that means continual improvement. And it's not just improvement in the martial arts, it's improvement as a human being. So I've been, since 2014, creating fundraisers for St. Children's Hospital. I like that charity very much because they they take care of everything for these kids who have cancer. So their parents don't have to pay a bill, they don't have to pay travel, they don't have to pay for food or lodging. And I really can get behind an organization like that. So in 2014, I created a fundraiser, and it was um, a. Um, I was celebrating 40 years in the martial arts, so I created an event at my dojo called 40 Rounds for 40 Years, in which I was supposed to fight uh, 40 rounds, uh, one-minute rounds, not fight, but spar, mm-hmm. with 40 
local black belts. And it ended up being about 80 rounds because all the little kids in my class wanted to get in on it and beat the heck out of me. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, we were able to raise a significant amount of money that year for St. Jude. Um, my very last opponent that day was Daryl Vidal from Karate Kid 1, who, right. who uh, helped originate the crane kick. He was my last opponent. That uh, footage is available. And if you want, I'll send you the link. But it's kind of cool because we both ended with uh, the crane pose. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Um and then I did one the following year where I called it 49 Kata for 49 years, which was basically celebrating my 49th birthday. And then in 2016, I, I couldn't think of anything to do. And then, you know, inspiration hits me kind of like Doc Brown from Back to the Future where I'm doing something and I'm like, oh, great, God, I got it. And the idea came to me about creating a book called The Beginner's Mind Project, which is the whole idea about, you know, being able to metaphorically or even physically put on a white belt no matter how many years you've trained and be a student, be a beginner again. So we were able to enlist the help of the martial arts community to come in and, um, and help us with this. So um, it's a picture book that is, you know, Lyoto Machida, Chinzo Machida, Fumio Demura, Gerald Okamura, uh, Butch Togisala, um, other people like Michelle Manu and Rob Moses, uh, Daryl Vidal, they're, they're all in this book. And all the proceeds will go to St. Jude Children's Hospital. It's uh, $30, and these can be pre-ordered. Um, I will uh, share the contact information with you um, if you want. But, you know, if you go to uh, um, my Facebook page or, you know, or, um, you know, you can, you can order it through me. But... Um, it's it's a really great um, project that I think will do really well, and hopefully we'll be able to raise another five or ten thousand dollars for the um, for the hospital. I uh, collaborated with a photographer named Kelly Tamayo, who is also an old classmate from Sensorobago's Dojo, and we were able to create quite a a lovely book, and I think it will be well received. So yeah. thank you for letting me talk about that. That's that's a project that that's very close to my heart. Absolutely, that's amazing. That's uh, definitely for a great cause. Um, yes, please share me, uh, share with me the the information on how uh, listeners could uh, pre-order the book and uh, the different sites that they can find it. And I'll definitely include it in this uh, episode's uh, show notes. That way, they have easier access to getting to that site. Okay, and you know, the, anybody can always email me at thekaizendojo at gmail dot com. T h e k a i z e n d o j o at gmail dot com and order a book. It's $30. And, um, again, proceeds go to the hospital. So, you know, we we've, we've, earned, we've raised together, not me, but we collectively as a community have raised about 30,000, $33,000 for, for kids, you know, for kids who need it. And yeah, we want to continue to do that. I want to do that for the rest of my days. And I want every, every martial artist, uh, to be able to, you know, contribute to a greater good as well. And I, I tell you, um, I couldn't do it by myself. So blessed to have people like Pialani and Cynthia Butch and um, so many other people who, when you ask them for help, they're there. They're, they, they are selfless and uh, they always have my back and I always have theirs. So, you know, we're just so lucky that we, we have this great community of fantastic people who come together and, 
we're trying to make the world a better place, you know, a little bit at a time, just doing a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great that you got all that support. It's really amazing. Definitely. That concludes my interviews uh, with Sensei William Christopher Ford. I want to thank him again for uh, giving me the opportunity to speaking uh, with him. Uh, we have a uh, working relationship. Yeah, he often shares, uh, you know, some of uh, the trailers, you know, of his projects that he's working on, and uh, I help promote it. And uh, he's just a, a very, very kind person. And I hope, hopefully, you guys check out some of his uh, previous work. Uh, for those that are interested, I will include a link uh, to The Last Dojo in the show notes uh, and also the trailer for the upcoming web series, uh, Xander, and also the link to Shoji Screens Don't Hit Back. Uh, again, also check out uh, 52 Masters where he interviewed uh, Ron Thomas. You might recognize a certain someone that was uh, thanked in the credits, so keep an eye out for that. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. And as always, I want to thank everybody for your continued support. If you have a couple minutes, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, star rating. And if you want to share some words, that would be great. And if you want to get a hold of us on social media, we are on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod and also Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. Check the show notes for our group if you want to join uh, the Facebook group. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.